today from uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, uh, when uh, Jesus on uh, that first Easter Sunday shows up unannounced uh, uh, with his disciples. And um, because this is a familiar passage, uh, you might, you know, kind of think you know everything that's in here like I did. Um, But a couple of things I want you to notice before I read it to you this morning is... uh, uh, notice the John's use of the word then and notice how time passes in, in this passage because this passage records something that happens over the course of eight days. Um, and so it's, it's, it's worth thinking a little bit about that. And the other thing to note in this uh, passage is the repetition that's in it, uh, how many times uh, something is, is repeated. So um, go ahead and, and kind of lodge those things in your brain uh, before I read the text. So, uh, but before I read it, let me pray. Jesus, you're good. You're alive. Uh, we know that our Redeemer lives. And uh, uh, that is what gives us courage and comfort, hope and joy, peace today, uh, because uh, you are the Lamb uh, who was slain, who is now alive forevermore. And so I pray for us today, uh, uh, the anxious ones, the angry, bitter ones, the sad ones, the distracted ones, um, for all of us today, Lord, that uh, we would see you clearly uh, and it would make us glad. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Um, So one of the things that you do, I don't know if if you guys think very much about this, but when you get older, you got to start going to the doctor more. You just do, right? Because it's like a car, you know, as it gets older, stuff wears out. You got to go to the doctor, get things checked out. So I've, you know, I've I've been doing that. So I I go uh, regularly um, uh, because I'm wearing out in a hurry. And so um, 
One, one, of, the, one of the things that's true of Shelby men, uh, because we're all short and uh, angry and frustrated and impatient, uh, <laughs> uh, that's true of us, uh, and uh, uh, most often, you know, uh, looking for, if, you know, if, if nothing else to do, to get in an argument with somebody or a fight or express our frustration. Um, one of the things that's true of most of us is uh, at some point in our middle age, we get diagnosed with high blood pressure. Now, frankly, I probably had high blood pressure in utero, you know, so I, it's not, it was not anything really probably that new for me, but you know, a, a little over, uh, almost a year ago, I got a, an official diagnosis with um, high blood pressure. My doctor's great. He worships here. He's very kind to me, very uh very great doctor. So he does what doctors do. He prescribes you a pill. And so he starts out with the smallest dose possible of the pill to get your blood pressure down. And so, you know, you got to come back in three or four weeks to get it checked again to see if it's working. So I come back in three or four weeks. It's not working. I mean, it's down a little bit, but it's not in stroke territory anymore. But now it's in kidney failure kind of status, right, if I keep this up. So... He's like, we need to double the dose of your medicine. So he doubles the dose of my medicine. And so I do, I, I, I started, this has started to trouble me a little bit. Cause I'm like, you know, I, I need to do something. This, this is not right because I feel fine, but this thing's going on in me that's killing me. So maybe I should pay more attention to this and think, think about it. So I did something that I'd, I recommend you never do. And that is go on the internet. And uh, start reading up on medical things because that's always dangerous. As soon as you do that, you know, you're going to expect, you know, a thumb to start growing out of your forehead any minute or, you know, you've got some kind of strange tropical disease, whatever. So, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I, I go on WebMD, MD, type in, you know, uh, hypertension and, um, which that's a funny name, hypertension. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh and I'm thinking, okay, what? maybe this will help me out. So one of the things I know it is got to eat a lot more vegetables because you got to up the potassium in your diet. So I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. Um, but the other thing that it's like I'm reading, it's like, you know, you should lose weight. You should lose weight. And that sounds like, you know, the, the doctor's now given me some agency, right, to <laughs> take some responsibility, not just take the pill, but, you know, maybe you should lose some weight. And my doctor is such a kind, gentle guy. He should have said to me six months ago, you're fat <laughs> and it's killing you. Do something about it. Right. That that because you're because I'm a short, angry, bitter man that speaks to me. You know, kindness and patience means, oh, you're not taking this very seriously. But if you insult me, then suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should pay attention to this. So it occurs to me, you know, Steve, you you should lose some weight. So uh, one of the things you have to, the key thing that you have to do to lose weight, the number one thing you have to do to lose weight is you have to get on a scale. Did you know that? It's a proven fact. That people who get on scales regularly uh, have less of an issue with weight than people who never get on a scale. And it makes sense, right? Um, and I have tricks 
that I do with that. So uh, you don't want to you don't want to weigh yourself every day because that's very discouraging because your weight fluctuates. Um, but the other thing that I do is I only weigh myself once a week, and I do it on Tuesday mornings, my day off, uh, where I go to the gym and I sweat a bunch and uh, take all my clothes off and get on the scale because that's the lightest I am all week. And so God's been good to help me in this process. And so uh, in about a year, I have lost 20 pounds. Now, here's, here's the thing. And most of you haven't noticed because it's slow. Did you hear what I said? It took a year just to lose 20 pounds. Just to lose 20 pounds. A year. 52 weeks. Do you know... That's not even a pound a week. It's not even a half a pound a week. It took me a year, a year, slow, really slow, frustratingly slow, right? Um, but I believe that uh, slowness uh, is the way God changes us most often. Sometimes God changes somebody on a dime. You know, you hear about people who have besetting sins and pray for deliverance and they receive it immediately and they never look back and they never stumble and they never fall in that again and they're changed forever on the turn of a dime. But the fact of the matter is, for most of us, in most of our lives, with most of the stuff that we struggle with and most of the stuff that goes on with us, change in our lives, in our loves, in our hates, in our habits, uh, in our words, in our thoughts, in our deeds, the kind of change that you, that you actually want to see happen, the kind of change that you desire in your life and that certainly the people who love you desire to see in your life is painfully slow, isn't it? It takes a long time. And so, but the fact is, the fact is, that's not all bad. And in, in truth, you know, slow change over time, I, I think, to me anyway, as a pastor who's in the business of help trying to see people change and, and who's impatient of change, my experience has been the fact that the people who change over time the slowest, as frustrating as that might be, it seems like that change takes, Right? What you have to see about the text that we've read today is that the disciples need to be changed. And and what we'll note about this text is, even though Jesus does some really remarkable things and, and really incredible things uh, on uh, the heels of his resurrection, which is, you know, pretty, you know, not something that happens every day, right? So in, in, the, in the midst of that, what happens to them is they change. But as we'll see as we look at the text in a little more depth, it is painfully difficultly, slowly happening to them, right? So let's dig into the text today and, and, and draw a couple of things out. We're going to walk through the text and then uh, draw some uh, conclusions. So uh, the first thing to note is that John tells us that it's on the evening of that day. And that day, the first day of the week, is the first Easter Sunday. So this is the evening of the day where Mary Magdalene had gone to the to the tomb uh, grieving without hope, right? When she, when she gets there, uh, she sees that, uh, Jesus is not in the tomb. And then, then she has that great interaction with him where she thinks he's the gardener. 
Uh, and then uh, she, uh, he, he says her name and she sees him. And she tells the disciples, John and Peter, run looking. And so this is the evening of that day. So imagine you're the disciples. You're in this room, maybe the same room that they took the Lord's Supper the first time in, where the Last Supper was. Who knows? But here they are, terrified, afraid, anxious, guilt-ridden, shamed, you know, uh, dis, uh, disoriented, unsure, where's Jesus, what happened, the Jews still hate us, the Romans might kill us, you know, everything is uncertain, and and did Jesus really rise from the dead, what is going on, what are we going to do, you know, what, what what's happening, so they're, they're locked in this, in this kind of complex of shame and guilt and panic and anxiety, which should be familiar to us, right, because if you've ever experienced guilt, if you've ever experienced shame, if you've ever experienced those things, the, the, the fact of the matter is that, that panic and fear often accompany those, right? And so these disciples are thinking, you know, well, if Jesus is risen from the dead or he's, he's, you know, whatever's going on, we're afraid. We think we might get killed. And the fact of the matter is we're ashamed because, you know, at least one of these disciples denied Jesus in his presence at his trial three times. Remember the rooster crows and Peter denies him and, and Jesus turns and looks at him. So they're ashamed. They're guilty. They're undone. They're in a locked room. Isn't that funny? They're in a locked room. Like, that's going to protect them. Right? Like, you know, the, we'll be, we'll hunker down in this room and we'll be safe. You know, we'll lock the door and, and the Jews will leave us alone. We'll, we'll be okay in here, right? Um, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is there. You know? Uninvited. <laughs> Disrupting things. Startling. Right? Now, the thing that's profound about that is now we could, you know, we could get into all kinds of speculation about, you know, wait, you know, he's got a body that they can touch and feel and see and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the door was locked and then suddenly he's in the midst of them. Woo, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about that. You'll have an eternity to experience that body. I don't want you to think about that right now. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying and doing with his disciples, right? So notice what he says. Suddenly, there he is. He stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. The first thing that he says to them is peace be with you. Now, now, why is that? Because Jesus knows they need him to do this. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you hurt someone, where you knew you sinned against someone? You felt it. You knew it. And it weighed heavily upon you until you could see that person and talk to them and ask for them to forgive you. Right. But but, you know, sometimes you're you're like you're sort of eager to do that. But then when you start thinking about it, you're like, well, what happens if they're mean to me or what happens if they don't forgive me or what happens if they what I think is even worse than that is when they just blow you off like ah, no big deal. You know, <laughs> when when this is weighing heavily on me, I feel guilty. I feel shame. I, I feel like our relationship is broken. Right. Well, that's what's going on with them. And suddenly the person that they have sinned against the person that they deserted without any warning is there in the middle of them. <clears throat> and I would imagine, you know, he says, peace be with them, right? He says, peace be with you. And then he, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So my, my guess is Jesus showed up and, you know, we, there's no 
recording of what the disciples are doing there. But when he says, peace be with you, I imagine they're going crazy. Who is this? What's happening? Who are you? Are you Jesus? You kind of look like him. Whoa, is, are, have you, are you, you know, is, are we all having this mass hysteria of guilty consciences? What's going on? He's here. And that's why he says, the first thing he says to them, I imagine he holds his hands up and says, peace be with you. And they need to hear that. They need to see him. They need him to be particularly present with them. And they need to hear the words that he's saying to them. And they need to understand where peace comes from, Right? Now, it's interesting because I think what's happening here is they're so disrupted and so freaked out about this. Jesus has to say to them again, right? He says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, wait a minute. I thought they saw him when he showed up the first time, right? But but they don't have any sense of gladness until he shows them his hands, till he speaks to them, shows them his side. And now they're like, oh, we see you. This rings true to me. This makes me think that the resurrection really happened, right? Because if you were making up a story about the resurrection, Jesus wouldn't have to do this kind of stuff, right? And the disciples would instantly believe and be instantly comforted and instantly on fire for whatever it is that Jesus wants them to do. But the fact is, they're like, ah, there he is. We were afraid of the Jews. Now we're afraid of this guy that just showed up in our locked room. Whoa, the guy that we denied. Peace be with you. And now they're glad, right? But he has to say it twice here uh, to get their attention. Next, next slide. So faith comes to them in stages. As he appeared to them, right? Uh, Jesus had told them he would die. They didn't believe him. Jesus had told them that he would rise from the dead. They didn't believe him. And now he's standing there in the middle of them. And he has to say, peace be with you twice. uh, And show them that he's actually Jesus before they begin to have any sense that they can believe him at all. So this is taking some time. This is, you know, this is. Jesus is kind of revealing himself slowly and trying to get the disciples to come to grips with the new reality that he was dead and now he's alive forevermore, right? And so he says, peace be with you once more, one more time. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them and he commissions them, right? What a powerful thing this is, right? That, that Jesus shows up and, and, and to the guys who had denied him, to the guys who are hiding in a locked room, To the guys who are fearful, guilty, shame-ridden, he shows up and he says, peace be upon you. He gives them himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to do something even crazier. He says, listen, I am commissioning you now to be sent into the world, just like me. You're going to have the same ministry I have. And the ministry that I have is the ministry of the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm giving you authority to step out, to proclaim the gospel wherever you go, and to say to guilt-ridden, anxious, panic-stricken sinners, because Jesus died, because he is the lamb who was slain, who is alive forevermore, your sins are forgiven. I'm giving you that ability to announce that, to say over sinners 
to speak to sinners, to speak to people who are failures and anxious and guilty, to say, you know what? Jesus died for that. Look at his wounds, hear his words, receive his peace. You're forgiven. Right? And now what's going to be true of these guys is they're going to be world changers, right? I mean, you think about that. If you're, if you're in a situation like that and Jesus suddenly shows up and he tells you this and he does this, what are you going to do? You're going to jump up. You're going to get the uh, bolt cutters. You're going to cut that lock off the door. You're going to stream out into the streets and like, he's alive. It's awesome. Repent, believe the gospel. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the greatest news ever. I'm shouting. Because that's what you would expect. When was the last time you saw a dead person show up and forgive you and empower you and give you the Holy Spirit? So that's exactly what they did, right? They went right out of there, started proclaiming the gospel everywhere they went. Well, look what they did. They do go proclaim the gospel. And they proclaim the gospel first to one of their own. Hey, Thomas. Maybe he'd been out picking up a pizza. I don't know. I don't know what he's, what he's doing, picking up dinner. He's in there. He's like, man, you missed it. Jesus was here. We saw him. And look how successful their first preaching ministry is. <laughs> I mean, they're such convincing witnesses, right? Even, even somebody who's already in the church. Hey, Jesus is alive. He's right. He was right here. And so successful, right? He's like, I am never believing that. Are you on, are you guys on drugs? Is this some kind of mass hysteria event here where you all convinced yourself to, to hallucinate that Jesus was here? Forget it. So there they are. They got the Holy Spirit. They've been spoken to about peace twice and, uh, they've been commissioned by the risen Christ and they tell one of their own, the truth of the gospel, and what does he do? Forget it. I'll never believe that. We're off to a great start. You know, how is it that there's a church today? Right? Well, it's going to get better, right? They're going to they're uh, get over that, change their methods, and bust out of that room and go share the gospel. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. The doors are still locked. They're still inside. They're still afraid. Sound like anybody you know? World beaters. World changers. Right? And what does Jesus do when he shows up again? Peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. Okay, you can put your finger here. You put your hand here. And Thomas is undone in believing him. Right? This is such a, this is such a profound thing for me as I thought about this passage this week is, you know, um, the, the, the this is not how I would do it. <laughs> and, and these are not the people with whom I would set about on this mission of spreading the truth of the redemptive work of God in the world. And yet 
This is what Jesus does. And so in the course of eight days, they're still locked in the room. So has anything changed? Well, I'll tell you what changed. Something profound happened. If you were here earlier in the service and you were paying attention, uh, we read that passage from Acts. And you were probably thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Right? It's the story of with Peter and John uh, proclaim the gospel and heal a man, and they end up exactly what they were afraid was going to happen, happens. And when they had brought them, that is Peter and John, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. Remember the last time we saw the high priest questioning somebody? It didn't end up so well, did it? Right? They questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles, that's interesting, they're not disciples, they're apostles. Why? Because they've been sent. They're sent ones now, right? They're not just followers, but just as Jesus was sent into the world to proclaim the gospel, now they're carrying on that ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now, that is seeker-sensitive evangelism right there, you know. That is, that is like, hey, you know, you're all right, I'm all right, right? <laughs> you're okay, I'm okay. No, you know, these guys who are hiding, who now have the joy of sins forgiven and this commission sometime after this, even though it's taken longer than eight days, are boldly turning Jerusalem on its ear, proclaiming the gospel to the people that they were afraid of and that they were hiding from behind locked doors. There's change. It took a while. This is probably a a couple of years later. And there they are, right? It's making that happen. So let's draw a couple of conclusions about this. So the presence of Jesus by his word and spirit brings peace, but it only brings it slowly, you know, because the, the, the fact that the fact is one of the things that you have to see about what's going on in this text is Jesus comes to very terrified, guilt ridden, shame ridden people, and he proclaims to them, showing them his hands showing them his wounds, showing them that he has made peace with God for them, that he has atoned for their sins, that he forgives them, that he is for them, and that he is with them, right? He comes and he tells them that, and yet it takes a long time for that to sink in. Why? Because Jesus speaks to them, tells them, peace be upon you. I am the risen Lord. I died for your sins. I have covered you. You are forgiven. But the fact of the matter is, outside of that room and outside of their seeing Jesus, what has changed in the world? Nothing. The, 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 the leaders still want to kill them. The leaders still want to strict, restrict their ministry. So the, the fact is circumstances have, haven't changed. What's changed is Jesus is revealing himself to them, empowering them by his spirit and giving them a job to do. But it's, this peace comes very, very slowly. Look, I, I know many of you today lack peace. You're embittered about broken relationships. You're fearful about your health or you're fearful about uh, the brokenness in the world or you're afraid of and you're undone and there's guilt and there's shame and uh, 
There are all this complex of things that come together. You need to hear Jesus today say peace to you. Notice he says it in this text three times. Three times. You would think they would get it the first time. You would think they would get it the second time. You would think they would get it the third time. Jesus needs to say peace to you, showing you his wounds, reminding you of his atoning sacrifice a lot. Because the truth of the matter is we forget, right? Uh, my, my wife teaches uh, first grade, as many of you know. And one of the things, one of the best tools for first grade teachers is repetition. Repetition. Say it, do it over and over and over again so that you develop kind of these mental muscles that have these memories of of what's true and what's real and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do things. You need to be told, peace be upon you repeatedly, right? Do you believe today that the risen Christ actually made peace with God for you and that he forgives you. You see, he connects in his words peace with forgiveness, doesn't he? One of the great uh, moments in the liturgy of the church, in the life of the church, is when we say the creed and we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. You know... That's a remarkable thing to say because in my experience, the forgiveness of sins in some people's lives and in some people's hearts is almost as rare as a resurrection, (laughs) right? But that Jesus has covered us, that he's made atonement, that his wounds count for us, that he is the lamb who was slain, who is alive forevermore. And he says to you, I have done this. Your sins are forgiven. And now I give you the ministry of the forgiveness of sins. The mission of Jesus is is an authoritative mission of declaring the forgiveness of sins. You can't declare the forgiveness of sins to to others uh, until you understand that your own sins have been forgiven, right? Uh, And this is a remarkable thing for us today because uh, that is the bedrock of of what the gospel does for us. This is the bedrock of what Jesus has done for us. And yet, for many of us, the understanding, the experience of forgiveness is, is pretty rare. When was the last time you forgave somebody? You said to them, you sinned against me and it really hurt. It was a bad thing you did. But Jesus died for that bad thing you did, and I forgive you. When you do that, when you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and you are, you are actually participating in his kingdom ministry by authoritatively assuring someone uh, that you have forgiven them and that by virtue of the fact that Jesus died and rose again, he forgives them. It's a pretty profound, powerful gift that he gives us. Next slide, Scott. So this, this all takes time because these same men are afraid and behind locked doors and the Acts passage will go out some years later and, and do this work. Here's the great news. You know, um, Jesus is patient. 
He knows those disciples are terrified and shame-filled and guilt-ridden, and he knows what they need. They don't know that they need him to come and speak words of peace to them. They, They don't know that he needs to come and forgive them, but he knows that, and he does that, and he does it repeatedly, and he is patient with them, so patient. This is one of the ways I know that I am not Jesus. I am rarely patient. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, Marty and I had to go to a, a funeral in uh, Northern Virginia. And uh, on a Saturday, you know, we're thinking, how hard can it be? How bad can it be going up 95 on a Saturday? And, and there just happened this little festival up there with the cherry blossoms. So who cares about that? And so it's the weirdest thing, you know, it's clear sailing till you get to Stafford. And then it does this accordion thing. 90 miles an hour, dead stop. 90 miles an hour, dead stop. And so you're thinking, oh, that must be a horrendous accident. Well, what makes it worse is there's no accident. It's just the way people drive. And it's just there's so much traffic. And, and of course, they're all in front of me blocking my way because they knew I was coming. And they're doing this to, you know, just wreck my day. Um, And so my dear wife is sitting there next to me, and she says, you know, like my mom used to say about my dad, like, I can take your pulse over here in the seat because I can see it pounding up here (laughs) in your head. Um, I'm going to repeat something to you that over 25 years here, I I say it a lot, you know, that... Um, you, the, Jesus, by his spirit, gives us fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? You've, you've heard of those, the fruit of the spirit. Well, I'm, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You can, you can fake all of those. You can fake love. You can fake joy. But you can't fake patience. <laughs> I wish you could. But, um, but Jesus knows our weakness prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He knows that about you, and it does not put him off. He continues to pursue you and continues his work, and he continues to say to you, I made peace for you. Your sins are forgiven. Now go into the world and proclaim that. Hear these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Father in heaven, we need to be forgiven. We attempted to heal ourselves instead of believing that the wounds of Jesus declare God's peace. We committed to work off our guilt and cover our shame. We tried so hard to pile up good deeds to outweigh our sins. When this didn't work, We quickly turn to denial and distraction. Instead of trusting that Christ has defeated death, 
We gave ourselves to change through our own efforts. We sought to renew our hearts through sheer willpower. This left some of us arrogant. This left most of us anxious and depressed. This left all of us blind and unbelief. Forgive us for trying to heal ourselves. Forgive us for fleeing from your grace. Give us grace to receive your Holy Spirit and open our eyes to the glory of the Lord. For Jesus' sake, amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. Uh, Years ago, uh, many years ago in uh, the life of the church, uh, our congregation, when we were just starting out and uh, for several years after that, we had a very simple liturgy, very simple order of of service. And one of the things that we lacked in our order of service was uh, a weekly confession of sin and a statement of the the goodness of God, the gospel uh, that Jesus had died for those sins and therefore we had forgiveness. Um, And that was just because we didn't, you know, we were all about the gospel, but it just never occurred to us, you know, maybe we should enact some of that actually in our service. The only time we did it was on the Sundays where we had communion. And so now we do it. We include a confession of sin in our worship service, I think, in a more mature church um, every week. But there's a problem with that. And the problem could be that because we come together and confess our sins once a week, what you could think is is that you're not forgiven or you need a new dose of forgiveness or somehow or other that act uh, gets you forgiven again, Right? And there's certainly, we need to turn from our sins and we need to repent of them. We need that to have peace with God. No, no doubt about that. But the, the fact of the matter is we do this uh, confession of sin every week and we say these words of forgiveness over those sins because before you even said the words that you were a sinner, confessed them, you were forgiven. Did you know that? You probably did, but you probably act like and think like, no, what, you know, I need to go do something to get, you you, you might need a fresh experience of forgiveness or a fresh reminder of forgiveness, but the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, his wounds are eternal. The nail prints, the spear mark, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ procures for you his forgiveness right now. And I want you to hear this. And this, this is a dangerous thing about the gospel, that forgiveness that Jesus died and rose again to give you. He's already forgiven you 
for the sin you're going to commit tomorrow. Yeah. And how crazy is it that Jesus sees us and knows that about us, and yet in the midst of that, he says peace to us and says to us, now we have a ministry of proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to the world around us. Hard, hard stuff, isn't it? Challenging, challenging stuff. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope of forgiveness of sins, no other hope of peace except through what Christ has done for you, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, then Jesus says to you today to come to taste and to eat. Because remember, this cup is the covenant, new covenant in our Lord's blood. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has forgiven you. Take this cup and eat this bread in joy uh, because of what he has done for you and receive by believing that the peace that he died to give you. As the elders and deacons come down front to uh, help me today, um, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.